We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back get comfortable carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for you i could stay here forever carvana where car buying meets comfort meets convenience Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, I've always loved Providence. You know, it's one of the smaller states, one of the more manageable states, one of the more beautiful states with an amazing seacoast. I'm honored to be joined by our next guest, the mayor of Providence, uh, the <laughs> the distinguished Jorge Alorza. How are you, Mr. Mayor? I'm doing great, Peter. Great to have you here in our city. Yeah, and you look too young. You were I'll wa- take that any day. I'm not feeling so young. Actually, I got the back aches. I got the white hair. Everything to prove it. So well, you, got, you got some nice hair. Nice to hear you, you say you got I'm some hair. Young. You got some hair. <laughs> I do have some hair. Uh, we should all be that lucky, right? Uh, Providence is one of those cities that, you know, yes, you're connected by, by Amtrak to the, to the Northeast Corridor, and that's, that's very good for you. But from a tourism perspective, a lot of people don't understand. They go, they'll go to Philadelphia, they'll go to Boston, they'll go to D.C. They don't understand the history of this city. That's right. Yeah, there's so much going on here in the city of Providence. You know, we, um, we are on the Amtrak corridor. We're strategically and perfectly positioned between New York City and Boston. So I think sometimes we're overlooked because of the bigger cities that we're, that we're surrounded by. But Providence has uh, a lot going for it in its own right. You know, we are the creative capital. You know, that's how that's our brand and that's our thing and that's what sets us apart. So pound for pound we can go toe to toe with any city in the country when it comes to arts and culture. And Most history of it and history, yeah. absolutely. A lot of that arts and cultures is anchored by Rhode Island School of Design. We have the best design school in the world. We have an Ivy League university. It's attracted so many talented, you know, folks to, to our city and they stay here. So in a lot of ways it's an international city. You know, we also have you know, seven other colleges and university, all densely packed. So this is vibrancy every, you know, every day in the city. And uh, I can't think of another mid-sized city in the, United, in the United States that has as much going forward and as much attraction as we have here in Providence. And you were born here. Born and raised here in Providence. In a lot of ways, my story is Providence's story. Providence has always been a way station for immigrant communities. You know, that going, going back to the days when people fled Boston to come here. Well, yeah, to the to the industrial age. You know, folks. Um, yeah. Well, of course, our, our founder Roger Williams fled Boston. Yeah. He was being uh, persecuted because of his uh, religious beliefs. He believed in uh, intolerance, openness, and you know, in diversity. And uh, that was a little bit too much for the Puritans in Massachusetts. <laughs> so he fled and came down to to Providence. And uh, in so many ways, we have a city and state that's founded on this principle 
of openness and uh, and welcoming uh, difference. So and, even, and even as a colony, you guys are number one in, ask, in asking for and demanding for separation of church and state. That's right. That's that's a little known legacy of Roger Williams, and uh, you know we try to we try to celebrate Roger Williams and celebrate his place in history. Um, so yes, that's that's something that we've that we've cherished early on, and so it's no surprise that Providence has always been this entry point for immigrants from throughout the world. Many of them came because we had a strong industrial base. It evolved over the years, but when my parents came, it was still a jewelry and textile center. What did, you, what did your dad do? He did jewelry, so he polished jewelry in factories, worked at almost all of the factories throughout the city. And those factories are gone. Well, yes, the factories are gone. The buildings are still there, yeah. so we have the physical assets still in place. They're renting lofts now. They absolutely I are. I knew it. Yeah. My mother worked second shift at a factory in Olneyville. Olneyville, for a while, was the poorest community in the state. Now it's you know one of the most up-and-coming communities in the state. My mother worked second shift in a factory. Now that entire factory, that whole street, are um, you know higher-end loft apartments. So it's amazing to see, you know, the the evolution of it going up, then go heading into blight, and then coming back up, back up again. And I think in a lot of ways that that neighborhood story is a microcosm of the city as well. Well, speaking of neighborhood story, you were a former housing court judge. Yeah, I was. So you know all about the neighborhoods. A little bit, a little bit. So some of the stuff that I did uh, as a housing court judge is, you know, I, I got really frustrated with the state of the abandoned properties throughout the city of Providence. Now, we were hit hard by the foreclosure crisis. So after 2008, property after property was being abandoned, and they remained that way for maybe a good six or seven years when I was on the bench. So what I did is I brought the banks into my court. You know, they refused to come in, so I fined them 10000 refused to come in. I fined them 75000 They refused to come in. So I threatened to arrest the presidents of the banks, and guess what? They, they came, came in. in. You know, you're one of those. Uh, I always astound people with this fact, and it's it's somewhat embarrassing. Only 37 percent of Americans even have a passport, mm. right? And what's even worse is how many members of Congress have passports. <laughs> it's really scary. You're a traveler. I am. You've been to what? 17 countries? Yeah, I think 20 about now. Yeah, yeah but so you keep coming. But you keep coming home. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, you know, I think that what happened for me was at my first international trip was when I graduated from college. My parents, as my graduation gift, we all went down to Guatemala. And uh, we were in a small town in Guatemala. Uh, we were in a van, and I saw this. Uh, he was white. He could have been American, European. He had a backpack. And, uh, you know, I was 21 years old. I was tra traveling with my family. I needed a little bit of freedom. And I just remember this image of him crossing the road with his backpack feeling completely free. And I said, I'm going to travel the world the same way. So I've backpacked through India, through Nepal, through Egypt, through almost all of South America, you know, I've been, um, you know, I, I've and that allows you, and that allows you to have a global view right here in Providence. Yeah. You know, it definitely helps. It helps in the sense that you see enough of the world, you know, not to th take things for granted. You know, so much of what we have around us here, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way. It also gives you perspective on things, you know, when, you know, folks are saying, oh, this is the worst it's ever been. No, actually, <laughs> you yeah. need to get out a little bit more and see the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, and last, I think that, you know, every time you travel, you know, when we all think of our favorite places, uh, without a doubt, you know, there's something about the people that connect us to those favorite places. We had experiences with people there. You had, conversa so a you had conversations. Exactly. And there's a connection that you feel 
uh, with people throughout the world and you realize that we're all the same at some deep intuitive level we just want what's best for our kids and for the next generation and we're seeking out a sense of connection for people so listening all to that's the, been very important for me for people listening to the show who may not have been to providence what's the one thing when they first come here that's the biggest surprise to them I think the biggest surprise, frankly, is how much is actually going on in this relatively small city. You know, when it comes to arts and culture, we have more than many much, much bigger cities. We also have one of the best culinary schools in the world, Johnson & Wales, so you are going to be blown away by the culinary arts. So it's fancy here. We take our food very seriously. There's so much well, incredible You know what? I go back, eat. what, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, to a guy named Buddy... But he's Nancy, right? Yeah. The mayor. You had one Italian restaurant that's still here, by the way, Il Fornaro, mm -hmm. right? That was the place you went. All uh, It's still here, but now you have a food explosion here. Uh, we have so much going on. And I think it's tied to the immigrant base and, uh, you know, the kaleidoscope of people that all feel part of our community. So we have great Indian, great Mexican, great um, – <laughs> we have, uh, you know, great um, Caribbean – you know, you name it. You even have Korean. You got Korean here. We have Korean. We have Italian. Everything that you would want in terms of the best food throughout the world, we have it here in, in an organic, genuine way. Okay, I'm not. I'm now asking you a question, not as the mayor, but as a local. Where do you like to hang? Where, where's Where's your best place for breakfast, lunch, or dinner that you hang that may not even be in the brochures? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because pe sometimes people ask you, "What's your one favorite?" There's no one favorite place. That. That's impossible. I have the same problem. So my favorite breakfast be breakfast spot is a place called Kitchen on the West Side. Every dish is prepared with love and with care. <laughs> uh, my favorite place. But what are you going to order there? Oh, man, I get the huevos rancheros. <laughs> <laughs> a hearty breakfast. Yeah, okay. as, as I should. Uh, my favorite place for, my favorite place to just, like, hang out, there's a, par, there's a bar called Lily Marlene's. It's a hole in the wall. You'll never find it unless you're looking for it. In fact, you may even miss it, even if you're looking for it. Uh, but it's my kind of pace. It's my kind of style. They have a nice uh, free uh, pool table in there. And then, and, wait, and what am I ordering there? What what what, what are you drinking? The shrimp po' boy, <laughs> with a Brooklyn beer. <laughs> <laughs> and dinner. And then uh, you know, for dinner, if you you really want to get a good taste of Providence, you go to Los Andes. Los Andes, it's a total Providence story. A, Argentinian, uh, no. Uh, Bolivian, Bolivian uh, immigrant uh, family. The two brothers, three brothers now, who run it. They uh, their father had a small Bolivian restaurant when they were growing up, so they cut their teeth. You know, in the restaurant industry, then they were trained at Johnson and Wales. Of so course. now it becomes you know this culinary experience, and uh, they have such an attention to detail, bringing in all of these amazing and diverse flavors. Uh, you want to cap your night off there. And then, last but not least, you know, the history of Cleveland is the river used to catch fire. <laughs> you have a river here that, when it goes on fire, it's intentional. That's right. That's right. That's our world famous. At marquee signature event called Water Fire. How, how long has that been going on? It's been going on for about 25 years now, and it's amazing. We do it maybe a dozen times each summer, and uh, we get anywhere from 20 to 50,000 people who come out and enjoy the water fire. It's an amazing. It's a it's a it's it's a work. It's a piece of art, but it's also a very spiritual, almost tribal experience that you go through.
My next guest is scaring me because she brought stuff. Uh, she's the food editor for the Providence Journal, Gail Ciampa, and she's been there 31 years. I've been at the Journal 31 years, Peter, and I always bring food. I've only been food editor for 16. That's why she's been there 31 years. She brings presents. I do. <laughs> but, you know, when you talk about Providence and you talk about food, I think you'd be the first to admit that 10 years ago there was no real food scene in Providence, and now it's exploded. Totally exploded, and it's it's more like 15 years ago. When yeah. I took this job, nobody wanted it. We put ads in the paper. Nobody wanted really? to be food editor, and that was just shocking. I always sat next to the food editor, and I filled in for her, so she said, take this job, <laughs> and I took it, and it has been an explosion. It couldn't have been a better beat to have. Uh, let me set the scene. 50, I, I, I think I remember this. 15 years ago, Providence had like one... Italian restaurant that I like. El Forno. Thank you. That's, That's the it. one. And your mayor, Buddy. Buddy Cianci. Oh, my God. He never stopped caring about Providence, it's even true. while he, he was in jail. <laughs> and he came back and was mayor again. And then? And then, well, he he went to the radio and died. And I know. Went to jail. But when I was yeah. around here, I mean, this guy was, was a force. He was a force, and he did a, a lot for the city, actually. He moved the, he unearthed the rivers, and you know, water views are what everybody wants. So we have water fire, and it just opened this whole path. By the way, the difference between water fire here and water fire in Cleveland is in Cleveland, the river actually caught fire. <laughs> Here you sort of decorate it with it's fire. It's lovely fire. Yes, it's okay. fire to music. <laughs> so let's talk about the food scene. Because, by the way, that Italian restaurant's still here. It is, and it's still a favorite. Yeah. It's a total favorite. But the thing that's amazing to me about Rhode Island is every little neighborhood has neighborhood restaurants, and you simply do not see that everywhere. And they are stellar restaurants. You, know, you, you see it, you'll see it in Philadelphia, you'll see it in Baltimore, and you'll see it in Providence. Totally. Yeah. So what are the highlights? What, what are the ones that stand out for you right now? The ones, I, you know, we are having this invasion of wonderful Asian restaurants, of course, which is just great fun. Um, and they are, there's there's Pho, which is in uh, North, uh, off North Main Street in Providence. And, and they're just, they're everywhere. Now you have a saying that if it looks like a bomb shelter, there's a restaurant in there? I do have that saying. Um, so many restaurants I've gone to and they look like bomb shelters. And I'll bring my husband on the weekend to a restaurant and he'll say, where are you taking me to? And we go in and there will be something fabulous inside. All right, so walk me through this. Let's start with, with breakfast. Where are you going to take me for breakfast? I am going to take you to Milk Money on the Weekends, which is near Alf. It's in the back of Al Forno, of all places. And what you are going to love there is clam cakes are this Rhode Island favorite. It's our, our food from our clam shacks. Clams rolled up in a ball deep for fried. Breakfast? No, that's just a favorite. Okay. But Milk Money does that, a take on that with sausage portuguese sausage and cheese and it is just it it just ticks every box of what you want to do for something you know, different if you take a look at the coastal cities of america san francisco on the west boston and providence on the east when you hear the word portuguese because those are the guys who are out there fishing they and are they did it you know they are and and we have some wonderful oh Denise 
is one of our favorite Portuguese restaurants in East Providence. And some of the pastry I brought you is from Taunton Ave Bakery. Did you have to mention you brought me pastry? Oh, I'm sorry. That's fine. I might have brought you some Portuguese-filled donuts. Yeah, but wait a minute. You also brought me pizza strips. Pizza strips are a uniquely Rhode Island thing that are just the most wonderful little treat. We even have them at our Paw Sox ballpark. Okay, what are they? They are a piece of dough with pizza sauce on it, no cheese. So you better like tomatoes. You better like tomatoes if you're going to come to Rhode Island. But it, and it's not thin slice. It's No, it's it's bakery pizza, which is what I like to call it. It's a big sheet pan pizza. See, I'm a New York guy who likes to fold the triangle in my hand. And, and we like that, too. But when we want our comfort food, we want our pizza strips. And every bakery has them. You go get one of these for lunch for a buck, and you are a happy person all day. Now, you've got Korean now, too. We do. We have Surah. Uh, Sir is right here downtown. Oh my gosh, it's just the most lovely place. And a nice Korean uh, student from J&W just graduated and Johnson opened. Johnson and Wales. Oh boy, Johnson and Wales University. That's Korean. We have, you know, Italy, of course. Of course. We have a Greek Italy here called Giolini's that just opened within the past month. It's two stories. And you can go in there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and pick up every little treat and artisan item you can imagine so you know in the old days as i said it was italian food and takeout that was for me that was providence now it's everywhere and we have two james beard nominees well we've had we have several but this past year we've had two persimmon which is champ speedle and we have uh Ben Sukel from Oberlin and Birch. All right, let's continue. You had me milk money for breakfast. What about lunch? Lunch. I think I would like you to go to Yolini's for lunch. Why? Um, because I think it really opens your mind to this whole Greek idea that you, you wait in line, you place your order. It's that fast, casual kind of right. thing. You can have everything from moussaka to a pastrami sandwich, but you're going to have the moussaka, right? And then dinner? And then dinner. I think dinner, you're going to want to go to Oberlin or Birch. You're going to want to go to Persimmon. And you can't miss by going to Al Forno. Oh, that's the old standard, but it's good. It is. I mean, I hate to use the words fine dining. I hate those two words, but that really is. Al Forno is still fine dining. The other restaurants I'm talking about are that very casual. There's no tablecloths anymore. Their menus maybe have 10 items. It changes every day. And you're going to get a whole Branzino on a plate. But then you got to finish it. They get very upset if you don't finish it. <laughs> well, you're going to bring someone with you. Yeah, someone who's going to bring pastries and pizza strips <laughs> and Portuguese sausage, the whole thing. I don't know why we're sitting here. We should be out there eating. Okay, Gail. We'll do that. Gail Champ, <laughs> the food editor for the Providence Journal, who 31 years ago said, yeah, I'll take that job. And she's been writing about it and writing about all the food scene here ever since. If you are continuing on to another southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. For those regular listeners to the show, you know there are two places I love to go when I go to any city. One is the local firehouse, because they've been in everybody's hotel, they've been in everybody's house, they've been in everybody's restaurant. They know where to go, they, they know where not to go, they know where to eat. And then, if you're lucky, you go to the zoo. Uh, the cities that do it well, really do it well, 
And my next guest knows all about that because he's the executive director of the Roger Williams Park Zoo right here in, in Providence. Jeremy Goodwin, how are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, how old is the zoo? So the zoo is actually the third oldest zoo in the country. It's so Philadelphia is the oldest, right? Philadelphia is the oldest. Yeah. There's some debate on who's two and three, but uh, we're holding firm that we were number three, uh, established <laughs> in 1872. And do you remember the first animals in 1872? So uh, legend has it, uh, it was a combination of some domestic livestock and some uh, uh, some exotics that were brought in that, that were former pets that were kind of just left in, in the park. So basically it was cows and somebody's peacock. <laughs> Probably, something <laughs> close to that. But that's how a lot of older zoos started, was right. as a collection of uh, small menagerie. And today, near what today is what, 1878, we're now talking what? So we're fast approaching our 150th anniversary yeah. in a couple of years, um, and the zoo's grown quite a bit. Obviously, zoos have changed dramatically over the years. Uh, they've gone from the, the menageries and, and the animals behind bars to, to habitats and uh, real conservation organizations. And interactive where possible. Absolutely, and, and that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on is uh, getting close to the animals and interacting with the animals. And uh, our brand-new exhibit, uh, Faces of the Rainforest, which is opening up later this summer, is, is going to do exactly just that. You'll be in with the monkeys and the parrots and the birds. Hey, I've been sloths. in with the monkeys for years. What are you talking about? No, <laughs> well, but that's great. Yeah, it really is. That's what people want. They want to connect to nature. Unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays really um, don't get out as much as they should and, and you know aren't exploring the parks and, and the natural world. And, and zoos are a great way where people can, can reconnect with, with wildlife and nature. Jeremy and I, I remember doing a piece on the Philadelphia Zoo years ago where I think they were the first zoo to do overnights for kids. Yes, and, and that's something that we do. Our, our uh, zoo overnights are, are incredibly popular. They sell out all the time. And uh, Do the parents stay with the kids? The parents stay with the kids, and uh, they explore the zoo at night. Uh, they get to see some of our nocturnal animals, and uh, they do uh, another walkthrough and have breakfast with the animals. The first thing in the morning, it's, it's a great experience. So you're missing an opportunity here. We did Night at the Museum. Great movie, sequel. What about Night at the Zoo? I think you're onto something there. Come on. Yeah, no, I, we'll get right on it. <laughs> What's the most unusual animal or the most surprising animal I'm going to see in visiting the Providence Zoo? So one of the things that we're really, really excited about with this new Faces of the Rainforest exhibit is our giant Brazilian otters. They are critically endangered. We're, we'll be one of only eight places in North America that will exhibit this, this incredible species. In a natural habitat. That's right, in our in our new rainforest habitat. And these otters, when you think of giant otters, I mean, a standard, what, what, what do you, what do you mean standard river otter that, that people are familiar with is maybe two, two and a half feet long. Yeah, these grow about six feet long. Whoa. Um, so true giants of the Amazon. You don't mess with a giant otter. No, you do not. You, you lose. <laughs> yes, you would. Are they friendly otters? Um, we haven't worked with them very closely so yet. Do you ever, so you've given me the answer. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we're very careful when we work with them. Yes, please move away from the otter. But as long as you're doing something that's responsible in terms of giving them their natural habitat, then you're helping out. Th that's so true because these animals are all part of a... Um, captive breeding programs where we're really working to make sure that there's a, a sustainable um, breeding population that um, the wild unfortunately is disappearing you know at, at a rapid rate and we need to make sure that that we have these assurance populations of animals in in zoos that hopefully when we can control 
um, the habitat loss, and, and if there's a place to put them back, that we're all ready to, to repopulate them. Well, speaking of repopulating and putting them back, I'm assuming you have a policy that if you do reproduce these animals and they do, then you're adding to them, you're not going to either share them or give them to another zoo unless they also provide a habitat. That's so true. Um, you know, we're accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, uh, the ACA, and we have a responsible breeding policy that we strictly adhere to. So unless we have a place for that offspring or we're willing to take care of her for its entire life, uh, then we wouldn't breed them. He brought a special friend. Jeremy, what just came out of this cage? So this is Spanky, and she is— Anytime a- somebody tells me Spanky, <laughs> I order protection. So, and you would need it with her as well. Uh, she is a prehensile-tailed porcupine, and they are from the uh, rainforest of South America. So uh, we will have a couple of these porcupines in our uh, new rainforest exhibit as well. And what's particularly interesting about this particular porcupine? I want to say the word P as many times. Particular porcupine. So this particular porcupine (laughs) has a prehensile tail. And (laughs) what that means is uh, very much like a monkey can grab with its tail. Yeah, I've never seen a porcupine with a tail like that. Yes, they're very unique. And they're built for living in the trees in the rainforest. So he uses the tail to hang from. Yes, they will will grab onto branches, uh, stabilize themselves with it. And um, it's a great way to get around in the trees so very unique adaptation for this this really remarkable are these nocturnal animals or no Uh, they are uh, nocturnal and um, one of the other things that we definitely uh, can tell uh, about uh, if you're near a porcupine is they have this really pungent odor and uh, which is why you have me 20 feet away from this (laughs) porcupine which is why they're better to appreciate from afar just because you don't (laughs) want to get stuck and uh, they don't are they like like skunks that they will release this odor if they if they have fear no it's it's not like a a a specific scent gland that they release Um, they just don't clean their quills quite a lot a lot I hate when that happens but you can imagine you know grooming your quills uh, you might uh, get a little uh, couple in your tongue potentially there and those quills can hurt you. They can, and that's that's actually one of the uh, big uh, uh, myth that's out there is that porcupines can shoot their quills. They actually don't. They um, they come out very easily. They're modified hair, and uh, uh, they have little barbs at the end, so they they pull out really really easily, but they can't shoot them. Wow. How old is this particular animal? So Spanky was actually born at our zoo, and she is about 18 right now, and which is pretty old for Is Spanky's mom still alive? Uh, no. Spanky's mom is not still alive, but uh, you know, Spanky is uh, re- getting up there, and uh, that just is a uh, testament to the great care that she gets here at the zoo. Are there other Spankies on the way? So uh, we do have another uh, pair that's a breeding recommendation, a part of the uh, species survival plan for this particular species. Um, And uh, we are definitely hoping for some uh, baby porcupines in the future. Now, when I come to the zoo, how will I, in what way will I experience Spanky? So Spanky uh, will be in a a really fascinating exhibit with other South American animals. So uh, as opposed to just um, looking at one species at a time, we like to mix them with animals that they would normally be found with in the wild. So, so who is Spanky hanging with? So Spanky will be hanging with a uh, keel-billed toucan, um, some agouti, which are small uh, rodent-like uh, creatures uh, on the ground, uh, and a tamandua, which is a very unusual creature. It's a uh, uh, an arboreal or, or tree-dwelling anteater. So um, Spanky will have a, a couple of really fascinating roommates to uh, to hang out with. Well, now I'm noticing so we're, one of your assistants is feeding Spanky. What is Spanky eating? 
So Spanky loves bananas. Spanky will do almost anything for a banana. Um, but uh, Spanky <laughs> eats a variety of fruits and vegetables and, and uh, rodent chow because porcupines are, are very large rodents. So uh, we feed uh, all of our animals to get a, a very nutritious, balanced uh, diet at the zoo. They're eating rodents too? <laughs> rodent chow. Rod- I haven't seen that on my rodent. shelf lately, Ro- rodent chow. <laughs> right, so we have all sorts of interesting food that we feed at the zoo besides our fruits and vegetables and fish and meat. Um, we have things like uh, you know, uh, wallaby biscuits and leaf eater chow and uh, um, you know, monkey kibble. So it's, it's, we, we have all sorts of really great uh, things when you come to our commissary at the zoo. <laughs> it's just sure you order the right thing for yourself. Right, and, it's, and all of our food is, is all restaurant-quality food. It's not Restaurant-quality monkey just, kibble? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so how, how many animals are we talking about? Give me the total population of the zoo. So we have over 100 different species at the zoo, and, and our new rainforest is actually going to be adding in about another 40 new species to the zoo. So uh, we have about 1,000 animals in total when you come and visit. It's a, it's a great zoo for a city of the size of Providence. Now, I'm noticing Spanky is totally focused on the banana now, and it's, and it's quiet. Yeah, uh, Prince will tell porcupines really don't make a lot of noise. So, uh, well, how much noise do you have to make when you can stick somebody with it, with with, with <laughs> one of those pricks? Exactly, they they really don't have to scare anybody off. They just kind of uh, um, spread out those quills, and that that says it all right there. Are they fast? No, they're pretty slow. So at least I can get a head start. Yes, you can. I just got to double, ch- you know. Yeah, they 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 don't like to uh, start trouble. They you know they just like to warn people off and uh, back away slowly. What would be uh, you know, the biggest surprise animal for me when I come. So um, besides the otters, uh, yeah. we are the only zoo in New England to feature a Komodo dragon. So we're really proud A very of good friend of mine well. got bitten by one. And uh, he was in the hospital for quite some time on his, on his foot. Right. So uh, Komodo dragons, we talked about... Uh, not being a uh, that the zoo is a very interactive uh, zoo with getting close to the except animals. for the Komodo, Komodo dragon. dragon is not one of those. And yeah. by the way, if you want to know more about the Komodo dragons, go see a movie called The Freshman with Marlon Brando uh, Matthew and Matthew Broderick. Great movie, Love uh, great movie about Komodo dragons too. <laughs> yes, it is. Along in my, my baby beside me at the wheel, and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. You know, Rhode Island benefits from so much, and it also gets penalized for a lot uh, <laughs> by omission sometimes. You know, we think about the original colonies, we think about the original states, the bigger states, this one being one of the smaller states, in fact, maybe the smallest state, yeah. uh, and we sort of sometimes overlook its history and its impact in the development of this country. Joining me now is somebody who knows exactly how to argue that story. <laughs> She's the executive director of the Rhode Island Historical Society, Morgan Graff. How Thanks are you? for having me. I'm doing well. How are yeah, you? Yeah, so you heard my intro. I did. I mean, people don't necessarily look at Rhode Island as pivotal. 
They don't. Um, and I think that actually goes back to probably what they learned in school and what they learned in their textbooks, where we needed neat and clean narratives. And they decided, you know, what was really important happened in Boston, happened in Philadelphia. My so hometown. the British were coming. But that was there. That was there. And <laughs> we were just sort of a drive through state, apparently. Um, and in reality, uh, the to me, the philosophical underpinnings of this whole country are first articulated here in Rhode Island. Now, you've been here for like 13 years. I've been here for 20 but years. But you've been at the Historical Society for 13. I have indeed. So you've gotten your own dose of history that probably surprised you. Uh, very much so. I grew up in the shadow of Philadelphia, and that was the, the primal Franklin, story that, that I knew. And so when even going to Brown for graduate school, I, I didn't hear about Rhode Island. And when I took this job at the Historical Society, it was incredibly eye-opening to me. And it's really become our mission to let people know all over the world how important this story really is. Well, we talk about it being overlooked so, of so often. What is being overlooked? Specifically, There are a number of things, and to me, one of the, the most important stories is that of Roger Williams, uh, one of our founders. We have five founders for this little colony of Rhode Island, and Roger Williams and some of the others are banished from Massachusetts for their religious beliefs. And they come down here, they start these colonies, and in fact, this is the only colony that is founded by a woman, uh, so one of the other five founders, Anne Hutchinson. Um, and Roger Williams does something fascinating. He goes and he gets a parliamentary patent from England because there's no king at the time. And um, he comes back and he says that has to include a separation of church and state. This is 1644. It has to include a separation of church and state and it has to include a democracy. And so we have the articulation of two of our foundational underpinnings, not of Rhode Island's history, but of this nation's history, being articulated first here. And this is then codified in 1663 in our charter. And at that same time, now we have a king in England who's saying, I think it's worth this experiment here. And we start to see that language cropping up in South Carolina, in New Jersey. And then, of course, we see it in our founding documents as a nation. So if I visit the society, mm -hmm. the building, mm -hmm. what's the one exhibit there or that one little nugget there that's, that's going to pivot me? <laughs> It's really interesting. If I were to, to send someone to see the Roger Williams story, I would send them to the National Park Service, Roger Williams Memorial, or over to our magnificent state house where we have the charter room and you can actually see that charter. And by the way, that state house is walking distance from where we are right now. One of the most magnificent parts of coming to Rhode Island is how easy it is to get almost anywhere and steep yourself into this history. Providence is eminently walkable. And what am I going to see in that room? You're going to see some pretty magnificent things. You're going to see that 1663 charter. You're going to see deeds of land between Native Americans and Roger, William, Roger Williams. You're going to see actual artifacts, his writings from the 1640s, some of the first published writings that begin to argue with the Puritans and begin to argue for the separation of church and state as being one of the most fundamental ideals uh, for the whole world. Now, you know, there are certain states that I know where school children are almost forced to do this, and it opens their eyes. I mean, how many people who visit Providence even know you're around? Hopefully more and more. Um, Rhode Island, as I mentioned, is covered in history. We have, in fact, 464 history organizations in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, but who's counting? Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Morgan's counting. So many people um, aren't sure what they're looking for. It's why our, our partnerships throughout the city are so important, as we direct people, often through walking tours, that take well, you along to see Well, this is a walkable city. 
completely. So we urge people to go out on those walks to pick up that map and stop into these historic houses, these historic buildings, because almost everyone will contain a surprise. One of the biggest surprises, I'd say, is also Rhode Island's got an incredibly important history with the slave trade that almost no one learns about. And in fact, as a colony, controlled 60% of the North American slave trade. And when did that turn? The United States bars the slave, the transatlantic slave trade, uh, 1807, in, in effect 1808. Um, but Rhode Island bans it before then. However, people are are flouting this law and are are doing this um, after the re- after the revolution. They're doing it after it becomes illegal. And so Rhode Island is important in that regard, and then important as it becomes a state with a lot of abolitionists in it in the 19th century. So, so it took a while. It makes this transition because it's a it's the ocean state. It's that merchant class that is trading. And so that is displaced by the Industrial Revolution. And just outside of Providence, you can go see Slater Mill, the first sustained factory in the United States, the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution in America. Wow. And I go back to the colony days. You you talk about Roger Williams. This was the first colony to say church and state had to be separate. Exactly. And think about how just how fundamental that is to us in America today. They were ahead of their times. Very much so. And not popular. No, no. I think they were, you know, people called them rogues island. They called them a cesspit, I believe was one of the phrases. Really? This was seen as a colony of upstarts. And it was seen as a place where, again, people were banished for things like um, women preaching. Women were having the audacity to teach other people in their homes. And Massachusetts said, you can't do that here. And this became a place where people like Roger Williams and his followers and the other colonists said, if you've got an idea, if you've got the will, I don't care what you believe. I don't care where you come from. This is a place you can do it. So basically, you were the escape hatch for Boston. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the way, TF Green Airport still is. <laughs> I mean, manner of speaking. It, it's one of the best kept secrets. It really is. You want an alternative to Logan? Take oh. Providence, I'm telling you. It'll make you want to fly more. It will. It will. Or make you want to fly here. Yes, let's hope. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would walk On the show, we talked about Providence as a capital for culture, capital for for certainly for food, uh, and and a surprising for many people capital of history. But I guess my next guest knows all about the cultural capital aspects of it. He's the executive director of the Trinity Repertory Theater, and his name is Tom Parrish. How are you, Tom? Great, Peter. Thanks for having me. I mean, would you, I, I know there's going to be a self-serving question for you to answer, but would you call your your rep theater a creative home for all of Rhode Island? Oh, absolutely, and and we have one of the last resident acting companies in the country as well. So it's it's literally a creative. There's home there's for one in New Haven, I know at Yale. Uh, yes, but they don't have a resident acting company. Really? Yeah. So we have the professional artists are living right here in Rhode Island, and we employ them throughout the year. And there's only a handful of of repertory companies left like that in the United States. You would think that the whole definition of repertory companies would would basically enforce a rule of residence. One, one would think, but the regional theater has evolved in the United States over the past 50 years, and 
um, for economic reasons mostly, but um, it's one of our core values at Trinity Rep and is to have this resident acting company creating the work for and, and with this community. And you were founded, what, about 55 years ago, back in 1963, I think. 1963, yes. And what, I mean, you know, we all talk about rep theaters as sort of like the, the, the incubator, if you will, of so many things that go on to, you know, to Broadway and, and then go on touring. Give me some of, the, some of your biggest hits. Well, uh, Trinity Rep, is, as you mentioned, has been around for 55 years, and we've sent shows to New York, off-Broadway, internationally. Uh, we've had uh, our productions taped for PBS in the past. Um, we won the Tony Award for Best Regional Theater in 1981 really one of the um, leaders and founders of American regional theater. Now, currently what? Pride and Prejudice? Pride and Prejudice. But wait a minute, a funny adaptation? A funny adaptation. I want to hear this. Yeah, so Kate Hamill, who's a phenomenal writer, she's adapted both of these Jane Austen stories, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, into these um, really effervescent, comedic, tongue-in-cheek, adaptations of these classic stories and we're opening our 2018-19 season with it in October. So basically we'll do the cherry orchard next. Uh, no, <laughs> not, not quite, although our artistic director is a, a Kurt Columbus is a renowned adapter of Chekhov, so um, we have done many Chekhov plays. And then we go from history. there to Ibsen and it's over, right? Okay. Yes. Uh, you do what, six or seven shows a year? Correct. We six show subscription season and then also a Christmas carol. So the good news is, if you're coming to Providence, there's a reasonably good chance you're in performance. Correct. We run from September through June, um, and uh, we have all of the shows that Trinity Rep does, and then we also are home to the Brown University Trinity Rep MFA program. And Talk about have, tryouts. Yeah, oh and they, ha they have a number of productions a year, too, I think about eight. So um, you can see a lot of different types of work at Trinity Rep right downtown. What's been the, the biggest surprise performance since you've been there? The one that you said, we did what, and you did it? Well, we, we did, just closed recently, a brilliant production of Ragtime. Uh, and we staged, it's traditionally done with like 50 actors in a very large orchestra, and we restaged it with 16 actors uh, and a five-piece orchestra, live sound fully as a part of the production, very minimalist and set in a contemporary way. And it made the story resonate and sing in such a way that was very particular to this time. So uh, you, you could actually get away with a five-piece orchestra because you had the pre-records. No, we didn't pre-record. Nothing? No. No, everything was live. And uh, it was absolutely phenomenal and breathtaking and um, did amazingly well at the box office and was just a real standout of the season. And it was, it was a risk to restage it in that way and tell the story in that way, and it, it worked remarkably well. Now, you're coming up on your next season just what, two months from now. Correct. What's, what's upcoming? So after Pride and Prejudice, we have our annual— Be funny, Pride, be funny, Pride and Prejudice. Uh, we have our annual production of A Christmas Carol, which is a Rhode Island tradition. Um, we actually have one of the highest-selling productions of A Christmas Carol in America, and uh, it's, we've been doing it for over 40 years. We redo it every year, new sets, costumes, staging, actors— uh, which is different than how a lot of regional theaters will produce a Christmas Carol, and it it is a s sellout every year, um, and it runs for November and December. Um, and then into the new year, we're doing a. But never you never have you done the Nutcracker. <laughs> no, that's the ballet does the Nutcracker. We know, I know, I yes. know. Yes. Um, so in the new year, we have a pairing of 
Black Odyssey by Marcus Gardley and an Iliad by Lisa Peterson and Dennis O'Hare. And these are both contemporary adaptations of an Iliad and an Odyssey. Um, and uh, they're going to be remarkable together. They're both breathtaking pieces of theater. Um, and so so they'll run back to back. They will run back to back. Uh, the, an Iliad is off the series and is just a special one week engagement add on. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.